Welcome to That Tattoo Show, hosted by me, Paul Talbot and Chris Harrison. Each month we sit down and discuss current tattoo topics, including how the internet, social media and technology in general have changed the challenges facing the modern day tattooists in an informal, down-to-earth way that's aimed at artists of all levels and abilities. That Tattoo Show is made possible with the support of Electrum Supply. Head over to www.electrumsupply.com and pick up some industry-leading tattoo products for your next tattoo. Welcome back to your weekly... Like, stop interrupting me when I'm trying to do the intro. Welcome back to your weekly Sunday tattoo chat. That tattoo show. How you doing, guys? Every Sunday. Why you got to keep interjecting with every Sunday? It's like you go on about how you like the new intro and then you take the piss out of it all the time. Stop eroding no, the viewers' confidence. but that is the intro. That is the intro. It's just like having it like every Sunday. You know, while you're waiting for your Sunday dinner to be cooked and nursing your hangover, we're here chatting shit on a Tuesday evening. So anyway, before we get into <laughs> a load of old cobblers like that, recently uh, in the news, actually on the our most recent news episode, actually, was about this very topic. That the, news. There's been a number of conventions that have closed their doors, uh, some forever, some for a year, uh, citing COVID uh, or Rona as the reasons for having to close. Now, while this isn't a new thing, because this kind of thing goes on all the time, it would seem to be a bit of a worrying trend. I've got the the question for Chris. What the fuck is going on with all these conventions shutting down? They're spending all our money, innit? And realising they can't... I, I don't know. Um, like, they, they are, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's like, part of you wants to believe that, you know, it's a genuine thing. But then the way some conventions present themselves, it looks a bit shady and you're kind of like, you know, you you don't know. like. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, I think maybe COVID has caused them to like lose their money. I don't know, have they spent all the money that they were paid to live during COVID and that's why they can't afford to, afford to put the conventions on? I think one convention said that they, and this is before they announced, well, they didn't even officially announce that they were kind of shutting down. Um, but like they said that like they were in one venue, the venue messed them around and they had to move to a different venue and then they had to move it again and again to follow and change the dates time and time again. So like have they lost money from the one venue, then had to pay another venue. But then when you go and look like on things like Company's House, you're kind of like, ooh, that doesn't really tie in with what you're saying because... You shut the one company down and started up a new company and you're taking money again for the convention that you're now shutting down again. And it's just like... Yeah, I think it is hard to say. Let me interject, as you like to uh, as you like to say, with uh, some information. So I've got a really good mate who runs a guitar convention up in Birmingham. And so I know that the, the convention world, it kind of falls into the live events world, right? And as we know, live music, opera, theatre and all kinds of conventions have been the worst hit out of all the businesses. Like my, my friend Jason, who runs his guitar show, he hasn't received any money or any assistance at all throughout the entire pandemic, apart from, I think he got like a... a, a bounce back loan or something like that mm. from the government right at the very, very end. But he's basically not earned any money for two years, hoping that he can hang on to his business and that it, everybody will come back, you know, because this is the other thing. If you don't have an event for two years, does everybody just stop going to events? And that's the big worry. Now, the other thing is with conventions, 
is they're hugely expensive things to put on. I know we all think that convention organisers make an absolute fortune, and whereas there's a lot of money turned over, right, it's one of those jobs where, yes, there's a lot of money comes in, but there's also a lot of money that has to go out. Like I was saying to you just before we started recording, you know, London, where we were a couple of weeks ago, that... That venue has got to be a hundred grand. Nice. It's yeah. got to be hundred grand to rent that venue. You know, I, I would think it was probably closer to hundred and twenty grand to rent that venue, because you got to remember they don't rent the building just for two days. They have to be in for two days to build the event, and then they have to be in for a day. Like when we're all Stripping going home down, with our yeah. hangovers, sitting on the bus, you know, they have to strip the the convention down, right? So they're actually booking the event for or the venue for for five days, four or five days at a time, right? So they're expensive things to put on. And I know that certainly during the pandemic, one of Jason's, my friend Jason who runs the guitar show, one of his biggest fears was that if they opened the venues but weren't allowing people to attend events, he would have been liable possibly to pay for the entire cost of renting that building for four days without even putting the event on mm. right because if the venue's open they go well we're open it's not our problem we want our money yeah you say you know so i do think with a lot of this stuff the event organizers have been hit very very hard you've also got to remember that the stand contractors have had no money the electricians that work on these shows have had no money the performers have had no money that everything's you know every one of the people in this place apart from the tattooists, hasn't earned for two years. I, I, I mean, let me interject here, right? Because this is one thing that you, that did bug the shit out of me, right, during the pandemic. Because, like, obviously, I've got a lot of friends that are in the music industry and they, they work in the music industry. Some are musicians, some are techs and things like that. And every single one of them has a limited company, right? And they're all, wonder, you know, they're all complaining that, oh, my God, I'm not getting any help. I'm not getting this. But... The only reason why they're not getting help is because they've chose to declare that they earn fuck all. They've chosen as a director to only take dividends and to pay themselves the minimal they possibly can so they don't pay tax. And by avoiding paying tax, a legal way of doing it, that completely screwed them. So, you know, I to a degree, I haven't got any sympathy. If you've got a limited company, right, and you choose to not pay yourself then it's your own fault. Like, you've got a limited company and you got money, you got help because you pay yourself a wage. So... High tax. It's like, if you're not willing... So, like, that fucking... To me, that's like, you know, fucking go and cry to someone else. Like, I literally don't care. Like, it's your fault. You pay... The help was there. I've got a friend that's got a lim... i got a friend that's got a limited company, right? And he had fucking grants and everything. He had, like, loads of help during lockdown... Because it was all there, and but the help was there because he was being legitimate with his accounts, with how much he pays himself, and, and, and all that jazz. So there is help. I don't think it's as simple as that, if I'm honest, Chris. I think you're oversimplifying that. Um, it's not really about just that. It, you can look at it like that, but if you're a touring musician, right, then, and, you know, you make... Not you don't make the tattooer money, right? Touring musicians are, you know, they ain't they ain't doing great. You know, what I mean, even some of the big touring musicians, they're not making massive amounts of money, right? So, I think what happens is you need to 
do the most tax efficient way of paying yourself. I understand that. And which is perfectly legal because your your income is unstable and you know you've you've got to be careful you know tours you know you can get kicked out the bands you might not get a gig for a few months you know all that sort of stuff i do think i don't think it's fair to say all these guys are you know are doing what the ceo of you know like a, a big corporation would do you know pay himself 11 grand and then at the end of the year take 4 million in dividends or something no you know, but I, well, yeah but what I, i'm I saying i get what you're saying yeah, no, but like, i get, I my, get what you're saying my my experience with it is people that i know personally that are working in the music industry that are like got they they get paid a really good fucking salary they work in all year round and they've done it for years and they've just chosen to not pay themselves yeah. a decent wage so then they can have dividends and things like that and you know it's it's it is unfortunate you know it's it is unfortunate that legal way of them dodging tax right has come back to bite them in the ass like we got fuck all I, as a sole trader i got nowhere near as as much assistance as 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 somebody who's our limited company like you could furlough yourself i'm sole trader i was getting like a couple of grand every few months uh so like to, from my perspective i think people with limited companies had far more help than sole traders and like i maybe think like fuck i should have a limited company like and I mean, if it happens again i'll just furlough myself for the entire next pandemic if it happens do you know what i mean well you gotta wait about 100 years for the next pandemic but yeah no i mean i'm just trying to now draw a picture in case you don't know how this works because I've, I've spoke to lots of tattooists who, who don't really you know and quite rightly you don't think about how a convention is put together you know so when i've explained to people that on average in a convention every plug socket costs about 50 quid and they go how can a plug socket cost 50 quid i'm like because you've got to have a, you know two qualified sparkies on site for four days you know what i mean well and that's Expensive, you know, all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't like talking about plug sockets. We've just experienced in the shop. We, we counted them out. He's got so my business partner, right, has had his room done out, and he's we counted. He's got double sockets, right? Double, double, you know, like the double ones. Yeah, yeah. He's got twenty-two plug sockets in his room. <laughs> Fucking twenty-two, <coughs> nipper. Yeah. Well, has he got USB <laughs> fitted to him as well? A couple. I Me, mean, one of them, right, is right, right up in the top corner of the room. Like right up in the corner, up, up like like about you know half, about fifteen centimeters away from the ceiling. I don't know, man. Maybe he's got a lot of stuff to plug in or something. I, I mean, I don't know why you need twenty-two plug that sockets. Knows. What you need twenty-two plug sockets for, Nick? <laughs> what are you plugging in in there? You know what I mean? Does he use a wireless tattoo machine as well? No, he he, he tried the wireless. Oh, he, I see. Wait, well, that's what that's one plug socket then for the power supply. Oh, mind you, know? you I, I will say it, you know it, it's actually more than that because he bought that Tatsol workstation, so that's got about four plug sockets on it. So. Four in it as well. Yeah, <laughs> oh. I don't know, but yeah, we get off we get off topic as we're doing this. There's a couple of things I think we need to think about. You know, there's. This is an industry that's been hit pretty hard, you know, because it's I put it in the live entertainment industry. The people around the industry haven't worked um, for two years and haven't been able to earn any money. Then, you know, like you know, like Chris is saying, you know, some of them probably could have got assistance, but because the way the business was configured, they didn't, uh, which has just made life even worse for them. If you aren't getting any assistance and you've, you know, you you haven't got any money. 
you take the money that you were paid for the event that you were going to run in 2020 and that suddenly becomes your wages and how you survive through the pandemic. And then what I think is happening is a lot of convention organisers are getting to the other side of the pandemic because it's very common for a a convention uh, to be run financially year to year. It's not like there's enough profit to set you up for the next 10 conventions. It's literally like this convention pays for next year's convention. And I think what's happening is they're getting to the point where they got to start paying the bills for the convention, for the shell scheme and, you know, for all the electricians and the next... And they haven't got it. And they just ain't got the money. See, this is um, the... At that point... Sorry, to, no, it's the delay there. Sorry. This is, this is the thing that worries... Right. We've got a massive delay yeah, tonight, delay. you know, sorry. My phone is, is, is horizontal, not vertical, so I think that's what's causing the delay. It's affecting the signal. I think that's, like, the worry for me when in this scenario is, like, you know, has the person who run the convention use the money to live as well as having to already pay out the stuff that they've got, which means they haven't got the money. You know, that, like, I think that, like, I wouldn't mind that if I was told, and if, like, my, like, I've done, I've done a video about it, like, but my main issue, and I've said this to you, Paul, is it's all about transparency. If, if a company turns around to me and says, if they just said, Chris, this is what's happened, I'd be like, don't worry about it. It's the shadiness of, you know, what I've experienced is, hi, mate, can you tell me what's happening with the tattoo convention? Blah, blah, blah. And then they've gone, oh, it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be happening now. And then I've gone, well, I've looked on Companies House and, you know, one of your companies that I pay to is fucking dissolved. And then there's another company there that was incorporated this year. To me, that looks dodgy. And then as soon as I mentioned it looked dodgy, I've been told to speak to a solicitor. Like, that fucking yeah. looks dodgy in itself. Well, no, so... So talking that about that, right, this is this issue has only actually affected me once. And I think the example uh, that, that I'm going to give you is the way you should do it, right? And I think it was handled very well. Uh, so the old London Tattoo Convention that used to be at Tobacco Dock that ran there for, I think it ran there for 10 years, and I think it was uh, for, for about five years it was in the Truman Brewery. This is one of the biggest conventions, if not the biggest convention in the world, and that one shut up during p- the, the pandemic and went, OK, there'll be no more. First of all, if it's affecting conventions that big, then this, you can guarantee it's going to be affecting yeah. the smaller conventions as well, and there's going to be problems, Right. But the way it was handled, and, and of all these the convention stories that I've heard about them shutting, this is the one that I, I said to you before we started filming, I think is the one that I sort of look at it and go, do you know what, I completely fail for you. It's too many blows, one after another after another. So uh, what happened was there's two guys that run the convention. Sadly, one of the partners died. Um, and then we went into a lockdown. So the other organisers, a chap called Mickey Violetto, um, he's faced with the death of his business partner and friend, obviously. You know, they've run this very successful convention for years. Then we go into a pandemic and you're basically sitting in your house with, for four months to self-reflect and yeah. you know, do a bit of soul-searching. And then you've got the mountain bills and the pressures and have you, know, have you still got the will to run this event, particularly on your own without your business partner? Um, so he decided not to. But at the point that he announced it and said, look, I'm sorry about this, but the London Tattoo Convention is no more. That's it. Um, I I can't, I just haven't got the heart to do it without Marcus and blah, blah, blah. Um, Only a few days later, 
I got an email from a, a law firm saying we're representing the uh, the London Tattoo Convention. We're liquidating the company. Um, I can't remember exactly the wording, um, so I'm paraphrasing. So excuse me if I'm you know, not quite accurate. But basically said, as a creditor, um, this is our email address. This is our number. Get in touch with us if you need any information, and you know we'll be going through the you know the closing up of the business properly. And you know, like I said to you, I don't think I was the only person to get that email. It wasn't just sent yeah. to me. I think everybody at the convention got that. Now that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get their money back because, quite simply, when a when a company goes into you know receivership or liquidation or anything like this. Generally, it's because there isn't any money left, and that's why the company's failing. So a lot of the time, you know, you're not going to get paid out, and what they do is they'll pay out the biggest creditors first, so Tobacco Dock would probably come first, you know, if they've got money outstanding and things like that. Yeah. But I do think it was handled, like you're saying, it was handled with transparency, it was handled above board, and it was done legally, and it didn't feel dodgy at all. It was just sad. I just felt very sad that we weren't going to be working the London show. You know what I mean? I was, and, yeah. And that's I, I just was, one of them things. I was gutted about it as well. Like, But this, see, now this is the thing, right? When I talk about transparency, this is the mad thing. Like, there, there are a large portion of tattoo artists, right, that paid in 2019... Or 2020, sorry, that's when I paid. We paid in 2020 to work the tattoo convention. COVID happened. Then, you know, he was like, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, after COVID, we'll, we'll pick it back up. Now, in 2021, that convent, that company was dissolved without letting anybody know. So there was no notification of that. It was just dissolved. There we go. And then another company was set up. Shit, I just hit my camera. Another company was set up then. And, and that company, the new limited company, which was set up in March of 2022, that's gone into liquidation. Now, that company, a legal team, has sent out letters to everybody. Because when I put the post out, or when I put the video out, a few people have come back and said, some people are saying, like, oh, well, I've had a refund, and I've spoken to a solicitor. And then other people are going, like, what the fuck's going on? So there's two there's two people, there's two types of people with this convention. People like myself, who paid to the old Cardiff International Tattoo Convention that he dissolved in 2021 and then there's people that paid to the new tattoo convention and all he's done like I said to Paul the only thing he's done is he's basically changed the one convention is LTD and the other one is limited that's all he said he's changed one word in the company name and and he's been able to open it back up like you know, he could have like he could have okay, legitimate so for the, reasons for the purpose of this, uh, because we're not throwing shade at anybody, right? I just want to make it very clear that we're not legal people, and that you know, Chris is reading this on Companies House and government websites to you know, and all that sort of stuff. But we're not legal people now, so we're not suggesting that what anybody is doing is illegal because it could be completely legal, right? And there's a lot of things that you know, like earning a million quid a year and you know, giving yourself £11,000 and paying no personal tax on your li- and limited company is perfectly legal, right? So what we're querying is where it may very well be completely legal, but is it moral to do that? Because, you know, is it morally right to do that kind of thing? It, it, it's, it's not even that. It's like, so I've discovered since this has happened, because I'm like, I'm going to fucking try and get my money back, is the because he didn't give us... And he didn't let us know that he was dissolving the, that particular company. 
anybody who's paid into that particular company now has lost their money regardless because like i paid on credit cards through paypal so i've got two forms of protection right so if i paid for it in 2022 right i could have done a chargeback on my credit card or i could have done a a, a chargeback or whatever on paypal and like, like i've been on the phone to them and like paypal there's a 180 day limit on paypal and i never knew that like there's a 180 day limit so that's out of the question and then my credit card company, which I with, I got an American Express card, eighteen months. Yeah, but I will reiterate, you know, th- that we're not legal people, right? So, oh, no. you know, what what Chris, a lot of this is Chris is presuming that this is what's going on because the lack of transparency, quite rightly, makes him feel concerned. It's like I'm not getting my money back. Does this look sketchy? And just want to reiterate, this might be perfectly legal, but it, it's it's not looking like it's particularly moral yeah. way of doing things. And we'll get into some of this when we talk about some of the other conventions that have come well, and Well, I'm waiting to hear off his solicitor, so we'll find out if it's legal. Yeah, well, well like, we, sh- we should do that, but I just don't want to be throwing accusations to anybody if you know, and saying they're breaking the law if they're not breaking the law. I'm not right? saying because they're breaking the law. Because we're not legal people. We're, we're just too concerned to who is going, shit, I've paid out some money and I ain't getting it back. And like anybody, like you guys might be out there. There's a few of you have commented and said, oh, I caught a cold with this convention, this convention, this convention legally in business some of this stuff is okay but it doesn't stop it fucking not being a bit of a kick in the dick does it you know when you go fuck man it's 500 quid I've given out and I'm, ne- yeah, I'm not going to have any chance of getting the money back right so I want to do I think let me just make an example first hang on let me just yeah. make an example of this years ago over it's got to be 15 years ago now. It's got to be 15 years ago. There's um, there's a company in the UK that used to publish the Skin Deep magazine called Jazz Publishing. Uh, they bought a show. Uh, I think they bought a company called Get Funky Limited and dissolved it. Now, they, they bought it uh, to get hold of the name Tattoo Jam, I believe. This is what I, you know how I understand the sequence of events because it was a little bit before I was working conventions and stuff. And they wanted what we call the IP, which is intellectual property. So they want the name Tattoo Jam, right? So they bought this failing company, dissolved it. Now, the company owed a lot of people money, but Jazz Publishing didn't actually owe the people that money. It was the previous owners that owed the money, right? Yeah. So... When they dissolved the company, all these small companies around tattooing basically got shafted. They, they're not getting paid, right? Then Tattoo Jam, I think it used to run in Rill, and now it, it then after that it ran in Doncaster. Clandidno, right? innit? And um, was it Clandidno? Was it Clandidno? Okay, so everything about what they did was was completely legal, but morally, you know, it, particularly in an industry of small businesses mm. like us, where you know, 500 quid, a hit of, and, you know, and, and more, it can really sting, you know, like if money's tight and all that sort of stuff, particularly, you know, now, post-pandemic, where everybody's money's a little bit tight and, and everybody's starting to look at the bank balances and stuff. What I would say to convention organisers out there as an example of that is after they did that, Skin Deep magazine uh, and jazz publishing generally never recovered their reputation no. with the tattoo industry in the UK to the point now that, as far as I know, Skin Deep magazine doesn't exist anymore. The lack of transparency of like not letting people know what's going on, and I think when you run an when you run a business or when you run a convention, you owe the people that are supporting you that little bit of a courtesy. That's my issue. Like. 
illegal or not. There's, there's no legalness to discuss with this aspect of it. It's just, you know, you didn't let us know, and that makes you look like a... Do you know what I mean? Well, that's what I was getting at, really, with the skin deep thing, was the reason they didn't ever really recover their reputation that I think ultimately led to the, the closing of the magazine and them running far fewer conventions because they still run a couple of conventions in the I country one in February there was a complete lack of transparency there was a this uh, this idea of we're skin deep we'll do whatever we like and you've got to go along with it you know I never had any personal problems with anybody at at the company yeah. I wasn't personally looking, you know upset with anybody but their behaviour as a company and their lack of transparency and their holier than thou attitude when questioned about like well you, you know you shouldn't really do this it's not really morally right well we can do whatever we want was kind of the vibe you got from them and I think that's part of the problem this is my warning to convention organisers out there is a lack of transparency with the industry and it, particularly if you've got to do something that's going to really upset the tattoo industry could affect your standing in the industry to such a point that basically nobody's interested oh, in it anymore yeah. you know like i don't see after this you're going to work at a convention in cardiff organized by the same company and chuck the money out again to them no i wouldn't work at that. yeah i wouldn't support them again unless right, they, so it erodes confidence right? they, unless they turn around to me and say chris we'll give you we'll give you a booth for free and as in, like, we did. If I get my booth that I've, it's not for free. If I get my booth that I've paid for, and if the other guys know, because we paid for a triple booth, it ain't fucking cheap, like. My question to you then is: This a, another nail in the coffin for tattoo conventions? Is this another problem that if you know, if like some of our viewers that have commented that you've been, you've caught a cold three times on the banks booking convention booths and they've gone under. Does if this continues to happen, um, and it erodes, you know, it does erode your confidence in convention organisers. If you're a good convention organiser and you've every intention of running it, do you think that they'll they'll become a point where people are starting to struggle to get artists to put the money across the table until the doors are open and go? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay for my booth on Sunday well, when the convention's you know what, right? finished. This is so like this is what I, I've been thinking about, and I've got a couple of tips like. I said to you earlier, like, like for me now, any convention that I book, I will, whatever the deposit is, I will pay for the deposit. And then when it's 180 days until the convention, that's when I will be happy paying the full amount because then I know that I'm protected because if they screw me over, I can get my money back. So like, that's what I would do. So I would be like any conventions now, I'd be like, just pay a deposit and then square the bill up closer to when the convention's happening. That way you're protected. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the more practical advice. And we'll, we'll cycle back round to that in, in a minute, because this is very likely to be a, a two-part um, episode, partly because I'm moving out next week. So um, I'm just going to edit it in two chunks, and then I'll have a bit more time to put my fridge in the right place in the building. You know, say four or five more of these conventions go under and people lose their money, and then we get to a point where we just... We've got no confidence that the conventions even run. If more conventions fail than run, would you be inclined to go, look, I'm going to try and find another way of promoting myself and my business? Because it's not just the yeah. losing of the money, it's the two-day promotional like thing that you've lost. You've, you've planned to go there, promote yourself for two days in front of 10,000 tattoo fans, 
and now you haven't got that opportunity. You can get that with conventions that are already running. I don't want this to feel like we're, you know, we're being really down on convention organisers because I think for the most part they do a really, really good job. It's quite thankless task, and it's but you do it's get fucking lot of, it's a lot of money to put out. There's a lot of pressure on them, and I do understand that. Like, like I said to you before we started filming, if your if your business was failing and you knew that you got about two weeks before you absolutely that's it, doors closed, we can't even keep the electric on anymore. Just like anybody, you would rip as much stuff out of that building and as much money as you possibly could before it ended because it's the human thing to do. You've got to save yourself first, right? So I don't blame them for it. I would just like... I think, you know, you probably... I hope you'll agree with me that what I'd like to know... I think, I well, know, you said it earlier. If, if they just go, look, mate, I'm sorry... This is what's happened. I'm absolutely shafted. I've had to do this. Like, yeah, we go... People will be more understanding, right, if you are like that than if you just... And because it, 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 if you look at it from my perspective, right, I, I all I'm doing is going, hi, mate, uh, what's happening? And then I'm going... And, and then I'm going on... Uh, and so the reason why I emailed him, so let me just backtrack... I was setting up my diary for next year because we we're, we're actually taking we're going on, we're taking that tattoo show on the road in me. We are apparently. Yeah, we're going to be at like five conventions so far next year, maybe six. Allegedly, I think Allegedly. the thing that sometimes convention organisers need to understand is everybody they're talking to runs their own business as well. We're all self-employed as as well, right? Any other business that has that's struggled like that. Um, I think we're all inclined, with a bit of truth and transparency, we're all inclined to go, look, man, let's just, it's fine, don't worry about it. I worry that it's going to um, jeopardise, you know, future uh, convention organisers getting involved, you know, if, if tattooists start, start to... Like, I worry that it's going to be like the online shopping thing where if you decide that conventions are too iffy for the next couple of years to book them because, uh, you know, a percentage of them never run. So what I'll do is I'll take the money that I would normally pay for conventions every year and I'll put it into online advertising on my Facebook, uh, you know, for my Facebook fan page or on YouTube or something like that where I'm getting low-priced attention. And then you get a lot of success from it and you go, well, is there any need for me to pack all this stuff up and go to a convention anymore? Can I just carry on? online advertising and get the business and get the work I don't think we need them because like the nipper I work with he opened up his diary like he opened up his diary for 2023 um, and he was fully booked up for the year he hasn't worked at convention in years and he hasn't posted anything on Instagram for like since 2021 it's just all word of mouth yeah I was the opposite of nipper to be honest with you, um, conventions, certainly in the early days, I don't, they're not as important to me now, but certainly in the early days, um, getting all my stuff, going on the road, tattooing all over Europe, uh, you know, tattooing anywhere that would have me, yeah. and, you know, and, and spreading the gospel of the graphic tattoo and all that sort of stuff. That was, that was absolutely key to what I was doing because, you know, where Nip was fortunate is that his audience is not that far away from him geographically, my audience is fucking miles away. My other question for you then is, if you are thinking of booking for a convention, maybe it's your first convention, maybe it's your hundredth convention, if you're going to book a booth at a convention, uh, how can you be sure that that convention is going to happen? And if not, how can you protect yourself and your money in case the convention goes under? What do you reckon? Okay, so you can never... Can I just stop you there? And the answer will be in next week's show. Oh, 
<laughs> See what I did there? And with that, this has been That Tattoo Show. I've been Paul. And I've been Delayed Chris. <laughs> and he'll be answering your question next week. Take care, guys. Yeah.